we shall continue our sermon sessions with the adventure of the Gospel of Luke. And we shall find ourselves this hour in chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke, verses 1 through verse 20 for this session. And we do hope and pray you pay attention and that you allow the information to enter your mind and to govern your thoughts as the context, of course, reveals the message of the Christ. It takes a humble heart to receive information of the Scripture. You will either be here in order to learn and grow and change as we grow together, or find yourself quite bored, idle, apathetic, waiting to leave. But if you truly allow yourself to enter into the realm of the first century, in the age in which we saw witness, live, experience, see, and record the information of the gospel, you can find great purpose in life, a great healing agency for a great many of us, having lived on this earth several years, become the recipients of challenge. And the message of the Messiah has been, is now, and will forevermore be the remedy, the cure to the great ailments of a fallen world. And we embark on a journey, of course, in regards to the Christ and his birth in Bethlehem. And we want to continue following the context of each verse. And that is important because it allows the scriptures to reveal the author's intent for our hearts and mind. We are equal as servants. And what a beautiful church Christ has created. It has been truly a source of hope for us to see how kind we are to one another. How humble we are to one another. How thoughtful we are to one another. Quick to forgive, listening to one another, seeking to cultivate our friendships, our bond, our unity. And this is why what began as five souls on May 8th of 2022 is now the wonderful assembly we see this hour and will continue to grow. For there is hope here for family, for our youth, our seniors, widows. We have wonderful ministries cultivating and growing. Here you can find refuge. You can find commitment. And it is all, my dear friends, to his glory and his praise as we embark the understanding of the Messiah and who he truly is. For the world and its oceans of error 
<laughs> are plenty. But there are some like you and I who seek to think for ourselves, independent in faith, receiving the message. Chapter 2, the Gospel of Luke, verse 1 says, and I quote, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And in verse 2, this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone, in verse 3, was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. It's interesting to me, my dear friends, how accurate the penmanship of a physician, Luke, the writer, guided miraculously by the Holy Spirit, would reveal this information. It's important because it gives us geographical location, historical timeline, facts that are tangible to be held in an honorable court of law defending the truth of the Christ. My dear friends, this book is not a myth. It is not within the realm of superstition, though a great many of us thought it to be so for many, many years, myself included. What is interesting here is the recorded account of taxes. Who would have thought governments want taxes? <coughs> what a strange concept. Not at all, of course. It seems to be the nature of government. And it can be fair when government is upright and moral, but once corruption creeps in, then thievery at the hands of the collectors becomes a daily occurrence. Bit of a sidestep excursion. The context, of course, always remains the same. This needed to take place for the taxing of the citizenry, and they needed to go and give information to that end. And everyone, of course, had to register to this I to this uh, 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 policy. And what is truly fascinating is it took 70 miles to get there for Mary and Joseph. Mary with child, 70 miles, though perhaps walking or with a donkey, though she needed not be there. He, the male, Joseph, could have gone on his own accord for the family, if you will. And also, if you would so permit me to insert into your thought, Luke, the writer of this gospel, is a physician. He's a man of science and medicine. He sees things through the natural realm to which he can recognize. And he, in his knowledge and education as a physician, a man of science and medicine, <laughs> saw the miraculous power of God within a child in a womb of a virgin to be reality. Reality. Joseph also went up from Galilee, verse 4, continues, my dear friends, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called 
Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David. Why is that important? Why would the Holy Spirit write those words? If you've been paying attention these past weeks as we have embarked in the journey of this gospel, it is common to see written the city of David, the house of David, the lineage of David, through David, 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 David. Because it is a fulfillment of the prophet and it is the ancestral lineage in which the Messiah would find bloodline, defendable, tangible, and within the Jewish mind, the conversation of ancestry was priority. They had temples with documents of ancestry back to Abraham. Now, of course, that all came to an end with the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, if you know your history and you understand the fulfillment of the prophets in the scriptures. For another day and study, I assure you. The house and family of David, the city of David, commonly always quoted, speaking of the, the line in which would come the church, the kingdom, the Christ. And in verse 5 it says, In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him, Joseph of course, and was with child. Was with child. Again, a breach of the natural. Supernatural. Miraculous. A child within the womb of a woman who had never known a man intimately. Now while they were there in verse 6, the days were completed for her to give birth. There is a necessary time and grace to accomplish the desired redemption for mankind. And she, in verse 7, gave birth to her firstborn son. And she, to the tender touch and love of a mother, wrapped the child, him, in cloths and laid the child, him, in a manger, a stable, if you will, because there was no room for them in the inn. A question. It seems so obvious, and I assure uh, uh, many of you uh, have thought of it. Do we have room for the Christ? They had no room for the Christ. Do we have room for the Christ? Is there a location within our mind, our heart, for the Messiah, the King, the Savior of mankind? If so, you will not find it in pride. You will not find it in pharisaical, egotistical, high-handed, diatrophic ways. You will find it quite humble, quite submissive, in a manger. That can't be true. Christ is a king. Where is his kingdom? Where are the physical swords to slay down the Roman Empire? Why would he choose such a lowly birth? 
because there is great utility in the heart of a humble man, a humble woman, a humble setting. My dear friends, a great deal of your heart is revealed this morning, whether you are aware of it or not. Why? Because you're meeting in a basement. And it's not the prettiest thing. We got all these mechanical things back there making noise. We got a few stained spots there on the ceiling, a few broken locations. It's an old house. It's an old basement. It's a bit stuffy. What are you doing here for? Don't you know there are magnificent cathedrals and humongous churches all over the city filled with wonderful lights and hundreds of people? I'm sure they would be more holy than we are. I mean no offense, only to make you think, only to make you think. Would we go see Jesus in a manger? Or would we seek him in the kingdoms of men? Interesting. It challenged me greatly when I was reading these things. She gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Well, we do pray that we see humble hearts willing to receive the Christ. Now, in verse 8, the same region there were some shepherds. Same location, you could find shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherds keep watch of the flock. And an angel, in verse 9, Angel, my dear friends, simply means messenger, a messenger of the Lord, sourced by the great I Am, suddenly stood before them. Who? Well, the shepherds, of course. There's a reason the Holy Spirit chose grammar. We can understand grammar. You can look at the nearest antecedent. You can look at the formula of the word and understand it. So a messenger appeared, of course, before the shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. Of course, the majesty and power. And they were terribly frightened. And again, this common theme, when an, an angel, a messenger, appears before man, man is always trembling and in fright. Well, I think so. If such a powerful figure would to appear... Before us, we would have fright and terror, fear. When we who live among the natural realm are made privy to something of a supernatural power, it can bring trembling. Yet, sourced from a location of compassion, there will be words of comfort. Verse 10, the messenger says to the shepherds, do not be afraid, for behold, I, the messenger, bring you, the recipients, good news, which indeed, of course, is descriptive of the gospel, good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. 
Where do we find our source of joy? In a fallen world, you might find your source of joy in things that have an expiration date, lawless activities. They don't last. They may give you pleasure for a short while, but they don't last. They have no sustaining power for you, and they hold nothing but eternal consequence. Where do we find our source of joy? It's quite important that we tap into the humble heart, recognizing Christ has to be the priority in life, because all of us are going to come and go as the ages move forward. But what will remain true is Christ and those faithful within Him. Some of us have chased, have run after riches, perhaps men, women, a fast life, perhaps sex, drugs, and rock and roll, perhaps career. One of the wisest men to have walked this earth, he tried all of them. Career, materialistic accumulations, women, money, all of it. And his last recorded words were, Fear the Lord. Obey His commandments. That's what life's about. Where do we find our source of joy? Do we understand the lineage of David was bringing about a kingdom with spiritual power? The Christ to be born, a child, so humble in a location of humility. And here, messenger speaking to shepherds. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you great joy, good news, great joy, which will be for all the people. You're always going to fall short if you put your hope in other things than Christ. I can speak it because I've tried it. But in Christ we have hope. Verse 11 for today, in the city of David, there it is again. City of David. If you are so inclined, in verse 32 of chapter 1, and in verse 69 of chapter 1, and in verse 4 of chapter 2, and now in verse 11 of chapter 2, you continue to see the theme of the city of David, the lineage, the house of David. It is evidence in an honorable court of law from the hand of a physician whose mind is scientific proving that indeed the Christ was, is, and forevermore will be. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ. Christ means the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Lord. And it's interesting how the messenger sourced by the highest power in the heavenly realm speaks descriptively of the Savior as king and ruler. We tend to think of Jesus more so this time of year than any other in season of a little cute baby. And he certainly was. Babies are cute, mostly. 
But Jesus, whom we follow, is not the image of a defenseless little baby. You understand. He is a great strength and power and king, and he has a kingdom. And my dear friends, we should all strive to become legal citizens of that kingdom. And the scriptures will indeed reveal how one becomes a legal citizen of his kingdom. And we shall speak about those things a bit further. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ. He is the Messiah. He is Lord. He is a ruler. And we shall see indeed how to find the Christ. This will be a sign, verse 12, for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Jesus is always findable if we seek him. And the scriptures, the words of the Holy Spirit, will tell us exactly where he is and how he is found if we ask, A-S-K, ask, seek, knock. And suddenly, verse 13, there appeared with the angel, the messenger, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. We take great care to the text, the inspired literature, God breathe information. It was such a grand matter of joy that the heavenly host, of course, appeared in praise and spoke words of passion. And isn't it interesting how we saw let me see here. Mary, in chapter 1, speak great words of passion and love and praise and glory from verses 46 to 56. And then we saw Zacharias in his turn and time from verses 67 to 79. And here in chapter 2, praise yet again from the source of heavenly host. It is a wonderful thing that God saw it fit to send his son in the form of man. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men. And here is very important. We, we don't miss this. With whom he is pleased. Well, who would that be? It would be all who have a humble heart to seek the truth and to receive the truth. Of course, which sets us free from the bondage of false religious worldviews, traditions, shrines. From the bondage of lies and superstitions and fears. From the bondage of lawless activity and practices and speech, the truth of the Christ, which was birthed for the salvation of mankind, recorded by the penmanship of the Holy Spirit, will indeed set us free if we are pleasing to God 
How so? A humble, receiving heart. Not a blind faith. Don't make the mistake of taking what I say at value of me. I'm just a man. I can make mistakes. But my dear friends, take it from the words of the Holy Spirit that you can read with your own eyes. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Is your heart humble to receive him? Is there room for Christ in your heart? Then, my dear friends, we can be pleasing to God. And it is conditional. That is most important. For there is an ocean of error out there that would void us in deception of condition in which God has always demanded of those who love him. Is it not written in the Holy Scriptures? If you love me, you will keep my commandments? Was not the inspired writer James who wrote that our faith must have works? Not because we can earn salvation by our works, but rather because we love the lawmaker. And because we love the lawmaker, we obey the law. Condition. This was not a blanket statement forgiving mankind of their sins while they still walked in lawlessness. Do not allow yourself to be deceived by those who speak eloquently to tickle your ears. There is always condition. If you sought, if you sought to have citizenry in Canada or in America or wherever, you had to fulfill the requirements of the documents legally to be here and flourish with the opportunities this nation offers. Right? Right. Is it so strange of a thought to think that Christ, being the king, has a kingdom, and a kingdom has policies in which conditions are offered that we must adhere to in order to become legal citizens? Am I so much of a fool to think such a thing? No, because it's written in the Holy Writ. Do not allow yourselves to be deceived by the ocean of religious error that is found out there. Now when the messengers, in verse 15, had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see... This thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Friends, this is education. Christianity is an educated religion. Despite what those who have since created Christianity in their own image might portray out there. Christianity is an educated religion. And if you look at the words, you highlight the actions and the verbiage therein. Go, see, know. Would you trust an individual? You prepare yourself to go on a flight, on an airplane. I can't stand airplanes. I loathe airplanes. I can't do it. I've tried it a few times, man. It's just no way for me. I've been on a few small uh, uh, flights. And, uh, oh, man, I got off the plane, I kissed the ground. Thank you, Lord. I just, I can't, turbulence, 
Forget about it. I was on a flight this one time and there was so much turbulence. Even the stewardess was like doing the cross thing. Buddy next to me was blowing in a bag. I'm like, please, Lord, see me through this. I, I, I can't stand planes. Well, what if one of the passengers just gets up, goes to the cockpit in front with the pilots and says, scoot over, I want to fly the plane. Or before embarking on the plane, someone says, hey, I'm, I'm going I'm to pilot the plane today. Oh, what's, what's going through your mind? Are you qualified? Have you been educated on how to fly a plane? No, man, I've, I've never flown a plane in my life. This should be fun. Are you going to get on that plane? Now you can do what you want to. I'm not here to judge you, but I'm not getting on that plane. I'm getting on a plane with someone who's piloted a plane for a while and has experience and he's been educated. Would you allow yourself to be on an, on an operating table with someone who's not been educated as a physician? Who would you give the scalpel to? Well, of course you want someone who's been educated. Someone who knows what they're doing before they operate on you. We understand this, do we not? It's common sense. It's a sense we have in common to understand the truth of the matter. Okay, hear me out. What if Christianity is an educated religion and you need to go and you need to see and you need to know So, in verse 16, they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. So they go, they see, they know, they came, they found. I like how the Holy Spirit writes in such an understandable way. Why are you here this morning? Why did you choose to congregate, assemble, in a home, in a basement of a church described as the East Coast Church of Christ. Well, we would like to hope and pray that we are all here because we're human beings. We have a common human connection. We were created by the image of the great I am. And we seek answers in life. We seek purpose we seek to know the God of the Bible. And if we not yet know him, then perhaps we are willing to learn. You know, this information, when it had first hit my ears, I was not friendly to it at all. I did not want none of it. If you came here to see and to know, I pray you find true love here. A true, selfless, kind, forgiving hope here. More important than all things, I hope you find the truth here. You see, out there is a realm of subjectivity. There is no truth to be known. They've been contaminated by isms, relativism, pluralism, emotionalism. How does that look like descriptively like this? There is no truth to be known. So therefore, I'm going to create my own truth. 
and I will know it to be my own truth because I will feel it to be my own truth. How can you hold that tangibly? You can't. It cannot be defended. It is a blind faith. We have to recognize the instruction and how fulfilling it is in life. You would not want to find yourself going to court with no evidence to defend yourself from an accusation. Slanderers, individuals who would say, I know it was her, I saw her murder someone. You would not want to find yourself in a court of law where the judge says, well, I feel you're guilty, so I guess I'll put you in jail. There would, there would be protest, there would be uproar, the community would fight back and say, that is not just. You cannot send a man or a woman to capital punishment or life imprisonment off of an emotion. Now, does that mean that emotion is sinful? Not necessarily. Emotion can be quite fulfilling. Conscience is a beautiful thing if it is governed by the word. My dear friends, these shepherds had heard the word of God. They understood the condition. They had to go and they went. They came. They know. Now, what you do with the information is of your own accord. My dear friends, no love loss if you choose to never appear here again. But perhaps something is germinating in your heart. And perhaps you would like to know more. And these wanted to know more. And they did indeed go and find. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. So peaceful, so wonderful. When they had seen this, verse 17, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. And all, verse 18, who heard, all who heard it, wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, in verse 19, treasured all these things pondering them where in her heart in verse 20 the shepherds went back glorifying and praising god for all that they had heard and had seen just as had been told them they paid attention to the word of god and because they paid attention to the word of God with a humble heart, they had room for Christ. And because they had room for Christ, they received the Christ. And what happened afterwards? They became evangelists. <laughs> How can you keep quiet about the salvation you found in Christ? You can't. Where's the passion in your heart? Where's the purpose? Do we have room for Jesus, these shepherds, they went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen and been told. My dear friends, you need to hear the gospel before you believe in the gospel. How can you believe in a thing you never heard? This is logical. This is defendable. 
You read the words of the Holy Spirit. You learn the words of the Holy Spirit because you study the words of the Holy Spirit and you begin to believe in the words of the Holy Spirit to the point in which you act upon the words of the Holy Spirit. What would the shepherds have done and what use would they have been to hear the word of God but never go? If we read these words in vain, we will never be productive and our faith will be dead. Can a faith without works save us? I didn't write that. James did. And I find it quite interesting that this salvation, this kingdom, the Christ to establish, established it. His church is well and alive and has been since the first century. And it has been going through the historical timeline. And his church is unique. It is unique. And we can discern which is his and which is not by the hearts of the people. And the word of God guided. In Acts chapter 2, if we go there as we find ourselves governed to the conclusion in Acts chapter 2 in regards to David remember the theme and how important it is the lineage of David the house of David the city of David in Acts chapter 2 what we have here recorded is the fulfillment of the promise that the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven the church that belongs to Jesus would open its doors for legal citizenry. There would be conditions known as keys. Matthew 16 would speak of the keys given to the apostles. The apostles became the recipient of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 and 2, as per promised in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. And when they became endowed miraculously by the Holy Spirit, they rose up among the people and spoke the truth the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension of the Messiah, the Christ, to which the prophets confirmed. You see, because the kingdom, the church, one and the same, synonymous, was birthed from the mind of God, prophesied by the prophets of old, promised by the Christ, purchased by His blood, and must be practiced by our faith. Hebrews 11.6 And so the apostles stood up among the people and spoke to them the message which pierced 3,000 of them. And the message goes as such in regards to David. Would you know it? Chapter 2, verse 25 and following in the Acts of the Apostles. It says, and I quote, For David says of him, Who? Well, the Lord, of course. I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, verse 26, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. Because, verse 27, you will not abandon my soul to Hades, the Hadean realm, the land of the dead, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You see, the Christ would conquer death. Verse 28, you have made, there's that word, known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, verse 29, 
I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, verse 30, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne... He looked ahead, verse 31, and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus, verse 32, pay close attention, God the Father raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. The we, of course, in the first century, those who saw him, now in verse 33, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God the Father and having received the Father or from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. What were the words utilized in Luke chapter 2? Hear, see, know, go, came. Condition. In verse 34, for it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord. In other words, the father said to the son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, conquering death, conquering sin. Therefore, verse 36, let all the house of Israel know for certain, there's no confusion here, that God has made Jesus both Lord, which means king, and Christ, the anointed one, the ruler, the Messiah, this Jesus, whom you, of course, speaking to the Jews, you crucified. Now, of course, in verse 37, when they heard this information, when they saw the logic and the evidence of the scriptures revealed, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, they believed, they believed, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? We've murdered the Son of God, we believe the information revealed, pointing to that evidence, so we are obviously not in good standing with God. So what do we need to do as believers to be okay with God? And what did Peter say to him or to them? Verse 38, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of, that means with the authority of Jesus Christ. And the reason you would be doing that is for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise in verse 39 is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, the Gentiles as well, you and I, as many as the Lord God will call to himself in verse 40, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And wouldn't you know it, in verse 41, those who received his word were baptized. Why? Well, it's for the forgiveness of their sins, of course. And what happened? Well, they were added to the church. 3,000 of them. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Friends, what a wonderful thing it is 
that our Lord and Master was born on this earth. God on earth. And how wonderful it is that we have opportunity to be pleasing to Him. And what a wonderful grace and mercy He has on our souls that we can qualify for the conditions. Do we believe in Jesus Christ? Yes. Do we understand His kingdom and how unique it is? Yes. Do you seek to be a legal citizen of His house, body, kingdom, church? Yes. Then we will call on the name of the Lord and you will be born again. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, John Smith, you are being immersed for the forgiveness of your sins, born again out of water and the Spirit into a newness of life added to the church, given the family name Christian. Anyone telling you otherwise has been lying to you. And I love you enough to say so. But don't take my word for it. Don't take my word for it, brethren. You read it for yourself. The lineage of David, the city of David, the house of David, the Lord's church. Through Christ, a humble birth, a humble beginning, a humble heart. That will conclude our session this morning. By all means, if you do need to respond to the gospel in one way or another, you can see us afterwards. We would be more than joyful to accommodate any answers to questions or concerns. We'll move forward with a song.